Hello, and welcome back to Self-Healing After Trauma. I am your host, Dr. Asher Beckwith. Today, we're going to continue our conversation with Jim Hewling, best-selling author of The Four Disciplines of Execution. Today, we're going to talk about how you can choose who you want to be and how you want to respond and how to include others in your life. Can you tell me more about the perspective that you were talking about and the choice and how you teach people about that and how you think about that? Of course. And, and you know, it's funny. It's interesting. I love the way you have your questions organized because they, they have such a natural flow to them that this, this is a really good thing to talk about after what we've just talked about. Um, and, and so I, I open with an idea. Um, I, long ago, I was very influenced by a, a powerful book. One of the probably five most impactful books in my life uh, was called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's a, oh, a, a very powerful book. Viktor Frankl, for anybody who doesn't know, was a Holocaust prisoner uh, who, because he was a doctor, by the way, a PhD, not a medical doctor, was asked to um, uh, uh perform surgery and do things on uh, guards of the prison when they were ill or needed help. So he's he really in probably one of the most severe circumstances any of us could even, maybe we can't even imagine what that would be like. You're actually having to treat your captors, you know, but, but in that time that he was in Auschwitz, he, um, he developed this idea which had a profound effect on my life. And, and it comes down in simple language to this between he said, between stimulus and response, there is always a space. Mm. And in that space, we choose who we will become. Wow. Now, if I just to let everybody take that in for a minute, you know, uh, in my own life, I clearly would acknowledge that for a lot of years, I would say there is no space. Somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm immediately angry about it. Somebody, the, the cable company loses my order and doesn't install my TV and I'm, you know, I have an immediate reaction or something more tragic happens. And I, somebody in my family is threatened. I have an immediate reaction. But what I learned from Viktor Frankl was as no matter how fast it seems in between that stimulus and the response, there is a space. Mm. And if I acknowledge that, then what I can do is before I react, I can look for that space. I can be conscious of that, that there is, I can believe there is a space. And by simply paying more attention to it, Asher, I, the way I feel it is what I do is I make the space a little wider mm. so that I have more time to choose what I'm going to do rather than being on autopilot. And it's those, I mean, how many people in the world have done or said something or bought something or whatever, only to turn around a little bit later and say, I can't believe I did that. I don't know why I did that. Road rage is an example. I don't, people are not themselves in that moment. Well, they're just reacting, right? But if we if we could acknowledge that, okay, something's happened, I'm triggered by it, but before I respond, can I have a fraction of a moment to mm -hmm. say, how do I want to respond? Mm -hmm. What do I really want to say? Especially if you're in a heated human-to-human -human interaction where lots of buttons are being pushed and triggers are being fired all over the place, both of you, you know, saying all kinds of things you don't mean and would never say otherwise, but you're doing it now. If we could pause a minute and say, okay, what you just said in your mind, say, that really hurt. Mm. Before I respond, 
let me say this. Yeah. I, I'm not trying to be dramatic. We could change the world with this one thing. Mm-hmm. If everybody could understand that there is a space and you are choosing, yeah. therefore, you can choose differently. Mm-hmm. And every time I have a person to coach, Asher, sometimes sometimes people come to me as a coach because they need help and they feel that I might be helpful to them. And I'm always honored by that. But there are some times where a, a, a leader's organization will tell them they need coaching <laughs> and they'll come to me like, well, I'm supposed to be here, you know. Um, and often those folks seem to be people who are working on this kind of issue. You know, they've said something, they've done something, they threw the marker across the room, they broke a glass, you know, whatever they did. And even they, once once we can peel away all their veneer, we can say, they'll say to me in great honesty, I, I can't believe I did this. I don't know why I did it. And now we can have a conversation about between stimulus and response. There was a space and you chose without meaning to but that means the next time you can choose differently if you just remember there's a space there so so this idea is is what I, why i've had so much success with people who have problems with anger or or have you know issues that they've not yet resolved and so they they are affecting their behavior or or they just have some learned things you know sometimes people learn to be in alpha mode all the time and to come across in a certain way. And it's not even really who they are. They just think they're supposed to. But if we can get down to this place of saying, well, what was the stimulus? And are you happy with your response? Did the response get you what you wanted? Was it effective? When the emotion cools off, most people will say, well, no, I lost my job. Of course it really was. It wasn't effective. You know, I told them off, but it, but now I wish I hadn't, you know, this construct People get in their minds and you can, in fact, I don't want to scare anybody listening to us, but once you understand this idea, you can't, you can't unknow it. Yes. I love that. It's there, right? So the next time you, your sandwich order is incorrect and you're going to say to the fast food operator, this is not what I wanted. Maybe you're going to pause for a minute and say, I don't know if I said my order correctly or not, but this is not what I wanted. You know, I'm going to choose. And in those choices, I literally am going to become the person I want to be rather than the person that my angry responses was, was in danger of making me become. Absolutely. And I love that. That is so profound and meaningful to know that you truly do have a choice Mm -hmm. of how you want to respond emotionally, physically, in every way, sense and form. And one of the things that we've talked about previously on this podcast is we went through, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, Jim, but we went through Stephen Kessler's five personality patterns. And we've talked through all of those different kind of survival patterns and the ways in which people get triggered and then they react in whatever way it is. So fight or flight or fawn or different ways. Mm -hmm. And What's beautiful about that is that once you realize what your pattern is, then you can do things in that stimulus versus response, in that space, in that moment to really self-soothe and bring yourself down to a space where then you can react in the way in which you are being the person that you want to be. That's right. I love that. 
I love that. And you know that, you know, the Maya Angelou quote that says people will forget what you said and they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. You're really operating. This is not like a transactional conversation you and I are having. Like everybody said something they'd like to take back. And everybody did something in high school. They hope nobody remembers. It's, we're all we're all in there, right? <laughs> but but we're talking about a lifelong pattern of doing something means that ends up being who you really were. That's what people will remember about you. And if you want that to be different, then I love your I love that methodology in particular. That one is a very effective one. I've been exposed to five or six others, and and they're I think they're all wonderful. Any anything that gives you insight into why you're doing what you do, you do opens a doorway for you to do something different next time if you want to. So yeah. I work on the side of let's realize you have a choice and let's choose differently. But I'm always a beneficiary of previous work where a person has said, I see my pattern. You know, that, that eclipses half of what I need to do with a person is to establish there is a pattern. And, and that, it's not automatic. You know, everybody Escher starts with, well, I had, I had no choice. I literally had no choice. I had to smack them in the face. Well, that's not true. You, of course you had a choice. Come on, you know, or I, maybe I shouldn't have chosen a violent example, but I had to say what I said. I needed to tell her off or I needed to tell him how he was acting. Well, okay, maybe you did or maybe you didn't, but can we start by saying you chose to say what you said? You made the choice. And there's never, I mean, almost never fails, Asher. There's a period in the beginning of, no, I didn't. I had no choice at all. And, but after a minute, you know, and I, I rely on my um, grandfatherly Southern style of coaching, I suppose, you know, to say, okay, well, let's take a deep breath. Come on. You know, now let's talk about it again. When that happened, okay, okay, I had a choice. Then we can start that work. And if that pre-work helps them to get to that place faster, it makes my coaching so much easier. Uh, and they walk away healed in their own way um, and ready to start a new chapter of their life where they're going to make different choices. Yeah. So really self-awareness is, is key. Mm-hmm. And it's not only self-awareness of your thoughts and the, potentially the limiting beliefs or the triggers or any of those kinds of things, but taking a moment to really stop and ground yourself mm-hmm. in that moment, self-soothe, ground yourself. Right. So that then you can be as present as possible That's to right. then make a decision that you want to make moving mm-hmm. forward and that you're not going to look back on and regret. Exactly. Exactly. We're, we're both saying exactly the same thing. You're yeah. saying it better than I am, but it, it is exactly the same thing. Of I have a, I'm going to make a choice. How can I condition myself to make a choice I'll be happy with? That's yeah. all we're saying. But, but its impact is profound. I'm not saying it's easy to do either. Habits are hard to break. You have to work at it a little bit. Sometimes people have to take a breath or sometimes people have to say, I need to go to the bathroom. I'll be back in a minute. You know, they needed to break state somehow. And I mean, there are many techniques for that. But whatever you do, if you can create that moment, you're very likely to make a choice you'd be happy with as opposed to autopilot just running straight ahead saying whatever comes to mind. Doesn't usually work out very well. <laughs> Absolutely. So can we dig a little bit deeper into that? So sure. how do you kind of get people out of that frenzy, like crazy state of, you know, going in, in these different directions? Oh, yeah, it's yeah. a great question. And, uh, you know, there's a part of 
the questions you're asking me today, I fully recognize you're probably better qualified to answer some of them than me, but I'm, I'm <laughs> to be able to give you my version of them. I, uh, I love your version. You're very. Oh, excited. thank you. Yeah, I love just add the neurology and make it sound smarter than I do. <laughs> it's okay. But, but I will tell you the, um, and I don't know if your, I don't know if your audience will say yes, that's right, or if they will say, "Gee, I've never heard that. I'm not sure." But, but in my view. Um, it's the absence of safety that's at the root of much of this. It's a person who feels afraid. And, you know, fear is a tricky thing to get people to talk about because we're afraid of being perceived as being afraid. Mm-hmm. To, to go multi-level, you know, with that, it's, it's a complex thing to deal with. And, and But if we can get past that and we can say, well, you know, a little bit of rational thought of what are you afraid might happen? What could happen? What might be the circumstances? We can unravel a little bit. We find that, again, we're, there's an unconscious backdrop of, you know, your inner voice is saying, be careful. Don't say the wrong thing. If you say the wrong thing, you might get fired. This is going to be bad. I can tell already this is going to be bad. Don't say the thing you want to say. You know, somehow your brain is running this madness in the background, which is actually not true. Now, maybe that part of your brain is trying to protect you. Maybe that's and maybe that's a good function. If there are saber-toothed tigers on the road and you need to not go down that road, I get it. I really do. I appreciate that part of my brain, you know, yes. <laughs> protect me from danger. But but if but if my fear is in charge, then every response will be one will, will every response will be a threat response. It'll be I'm being threatened by something. Whereas if some other part of me, maybe the bigger part of me, maybe we might say colloquially, my heart, uh, my 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 belief in the human species and the goodness that's in all people, and the you know, or my faith or something else, whatever it might be, um, um, then I can see this bigger picture and I can quiet that voice. But I think the cause of a lot of it is people are afraid. And, um, and I think, frankly, you know, I don't know if this is a controversial statement, but I think one of the greatest things that's happened, I say this after 42 years of leadership, is there is now a legitimizing that creating a safe space for people at work mm. is a leadership requirement. Yes. You know, it used to be in my day, it was, you need to get over that. You know? uh, and it was really dismissed, you know, to the point where I think people were very hesitant to even acknowledge that they felt that a particular boss was overbearing or threatening in their particular way of leading. But now it's, 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 I think it's out in the open now, you know, and it's legitimized. And we've also seen by virtue of the great resignation, we've seen the consequences of leaders who lead by fear. And um, if you don't mind me just making one more comment about that, I think no, I think my observation, I've, I've stood in front of more than 70,000 leaders in my career and tried to help as best I could. And, and some of them were better than me. I needed to learn from them. But, but then in that whole experience, I think there's a way of leading that is authority based, mm-hmm. which has been around a long, long time. It's very efficient. It gets an immediate result. If you lead by authority, you are mostly making people afraid that there will be bad consequences if they don't do what you tell them to do. So, so you, what you end up building is a sort of a culture where people are very compliant. You know, if, if you scare people enough, basically they'll do anything you tell them to do because they need their jobs and they need their benefits and they, and maybe they like their jobs and they don't want to lose them. You know? So if you make them afraid enough, you can make them highly compliant. Mm. But the tragedy is 
compliant teams represent only about 30% of the creative capacity they could have brought to the job. So in my personal estimation, you're eclipsing about 70% of what they could have done just because you wanted this quick, easy, simple, powerful feeling that I tell people what to do and they go do it. Well, now you see a whole new generation of leaders coming into the workforce who say, you know, occasionally I need, I'll need to use my authority. I'll have to rely on that occasionally. But what I'd rather do is have everybody be engaged. I'd rather us unify around, hey, we're trying to accomplish something here that benefits all of us. The company benefits, we benefit, our futures are a lot, and we're doing something good in the world. You know, so if I, in other words, if I lead by, if I create a compliant, uh, authority-based team, I'll get compliance as the highest thing I'll ever see. But if I can engage people, they will actually become committed. Mm. And the difference between compliance and commitment is massive. It's huge. You can't even imagine what people are capable of doing or willing to do or creatively will come up with until you set them free, until you make them feel that they are not only safe, but they're also respected and valued. They're an important part of the organization. And and in a sense, and I, I know a lot of leaders will recoil when I say this, that you're not actually any more important than they are. You have a different job than they do. And so you have certain responsibilities that they don't get to have, but you're no more important. In fact, if you think you're more important than your team, I've, I've often said, Asher, just send your team home for the week. See how many results you, you produce. You just, it's certainly not going to happen. <laughs> Productivity is right. going to go through the floor, right? So there is no, there is no ex- execution without the people. And your job is is not just to be in charge, it's to take care of the people in your charge. That's the real essence. Well, thank goodness, one of the things the Great Resignation taught us was you better wake up. Yes. You know, some people lost 70% of their best people in six months a few years ago, and they're not going to forget that anytime soon. And I don't mean that now the leaders should be afraid. I just mean, let's get clear. These are human beings that are valuable, creative hardworking, dedicated, loyal people, but we can make them into sort of robots if we, if we lead in this overburdening way, but we can also set them free to be miraculous, to come up with ideas that may change the whole future of our team or our organization. Well, that's all about, I think, another version of this safety question, this, you know, um, um, am I part of something? Am I valued or am I Am I just a piece of machinery that at the first misstep will be replaced by somebody else? Well, well, that the answer to that question tells you just about everything you need to know about any team or any company anywhere. And the people who get that right are the people who are going to thrive in the next decade um, because all the talented people have lots of choices. And the talented people are going to go to places where leaders lead in that way and where the culture is that kind of culture, and where they grow and develop and prosper and feel valued. So if you're hanging on to the old way, that fear-based way, you're going to end up with a very empty floor, you know, where your team used to be, and all the talented people are going to go somewhere else, I think. And it all comes back again to the very thing we've been talking about, about creating that environment where people feel safe enough um, to be their authentic selves. Yeah. And what I love about this conversation is that you can really take what you said with 
the you know more authoritarian kind of leader and then being more inclusive and and you can really apply it to almost any relationship oh, sure. <laughs> if you look at your personal relationship with your friends your for family or your community or your partner right. you know right. all, all of these same kind of principles apply and this is leading very nicely onto a conversation that we had in my last episode, which is on mm-hmm. safety and creating safety within relationships mm-hmm. is so critical mm-hmm. to really being able to see and hear and That's hold right. space for another person. That's right. That, uh, I, I had the great privilege of working for um, Stephen Covey's company, uh, Franklin Covey organization, but but founded by you know this great man whose whose work and writings had such an influence on my life. Seven Habits and all that life changing part of my story. Um, but he said something that stays with me every day. He said, "In the end, no involvement, no commitment." Mm. So that, in other words, if you're if you're leading a household, or you're building a relationship, or you're teaching your children, or you've got a team at work, mm-hmm. if you think you just tell them what to do, so they have no involvement, all they need to do is carry out your idea. You're never really going to see what they're capable of. But if you will allow them to be involved, and I'm not saying this is a ridiculous extreme. So there are some practical guardrails, of course, but within the scope of what's practical. Even in your household, you know, to what degree can your children be involved in a family decision? Where where are we going to vacation this year? You know, and again, I'm not saying, well, let's go wherever the kids want to go. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, what about everybody's involved? Mm-hmm. Well, if everybody's involved, what you're very likely to come out with is everybody's committed. Everybody feels they were part of the decision. And even if it wasn't the the decision they wanted made, they still recognize that they were given a voice, that they were allowed to express their opinion. You know, I'd rather go to the beach. Okay, we'd rather go to the mountains. As a family, that's where we're going. Uh, but but we hear you. Maybe next year we'll get to go to the beach. Well, that creates a healthy dynamic. And even though that's a simple example, you know, extrapolate that across organizations that have hundreds of thousands of people, it still works the same way. Um, if you allow people to feel that they were involved, they were part of something, they're largely likely to be committed to whatever the outcome of that decision was. Um, And it's a simple idea, but a powerful way to create any sort of human endeavor, whether whether it's the homeowners association or the PTA or a multi-billion dollar corporation, the same principles apply uh, everywhere humans are involved with other humans trying to get something done. These principles apply. Absolutely. That is just incredible. Just, just these thoughts that we have been talking about and then, you know, and how folks limit themselves with even believing that they can get to this because they're so fearful and, you know, how important it is to really create a safe space and to be in a safe space. And the other, the other part of it is to be surrounded by a safe environment. Mm-hmm. Right. To have a good, strong support system in order to be able to make these changes and be mm-hmm. surrounded by people who are going to be there for you and validate for you at work, at home and in all other facets of, mm-hmm. of your life. Right. I'm beginning to see very clearly what a skilled podcast host you are, because everything we've talked about 
is really connected. Each thing is connected to the other. You know, a, yes. a, a limiting belief is in part rooted in fear, fear that you might not be capable of doing something and having a safe environment in which to work and express your talent and creative gifts uh, is a is a major part of that. And then being included in decisions that matter, that affect you, you know, is a really part of having a rich, vibrant culture. Uh, so I, I see now what you've done. You've guided me through a series of topics that are all different dimensions of the same holistic view of, of what is the environment uh, and circumstances in which human beings thrive. What is that? And it's all the things we've talked about today. How about that? I didn't know that's where you were taking me. And now I'm really glad you did. That was nicely done. Thank you. I don't know if I had that planned, but thank you. <laughs> well, I still give you full credit for it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you to Jim Healing. If you'd like to reach out to Jim, please find his contact information in the show notes. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe and like this podcast and share it with others whom it might be useful for. Next week, we're going to continue our conversation with Jim Healing, so please tune in. I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about something important. Producing a podcast takes a significant amount of time, effort, and resources. I'm fully committed to delivering the best possible content to you and want to continue improving and expanding the show. That's why I'm reaching out to you to ask you for your support through donations. Your contributions can make a huge difference in helping me take the Self-Healing After Trauma podcast to new heights. Whether it's a small monthly donation or a one-time contribution, every bit helps me cover production costs, enhance the quality of our episodes, and help more people find hope and self-heal after trauma. By donating, you become a vital part of our podcast community, helping me to create more engaging episodes, explore new topics, and invite incredible guests to the show to share their knowledge and experiences. So if you're enjoying this podcast and find value in what I'm doing, I kindly ask you to consider making a donation. Together, we can continue to self-heal after trauma. Please see the link in the show notes to make a contribution today. Thank you so much for the honor to be a part of your healing journey.